Hello, and you're very welcome along to the 42 Rugby Weekly in association with Volkswagen, proud sponsors of Irish Rugby. Ryan Bailey in studio, sitting in for Gavin Casey this week, who we've been told has been ruthlessly cut for not performance-related reasons, rather management's desire to build squad depth at this <laughs> crucial juncture in the season. Joking aside, uh, Gav is enjoying a well-deserved break, and we'll be back in situ next week, but there's never any danger of Murray Kinsella being rested or rotated. He's here as usual. Murray, how's H- things? Highly fatigued. That is a strong start though, Ryan. Gal would be worried, I think. <laughs> and sitting to my right, after his own minutes were managed last week, is the one and only Andy Dunn. Andy, how's things? Very well, thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Lads, I suppose France week. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but but thank God we'll have some rugby to talk about this weekend. Uh, Murray, we were about in Carton House yesterday. A couple of interesting headlines, but I think there's only really one place that we can start. Sean Cronin's omission from the squad this week. What did you make of it? Simon Easterby was speaking yesterday. Maybe you could bring us up to speed on, on what he had to say. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I think we started getting wind of this just the day before they delayed the announcement of their squad. They only named it um, two days before they actually named the team to play France, which was a little bit strange. So you kind of felt something was up there. Um, yeah, surprised. But at the same time, it, it feels like this has happened to Sean Cronin a couple of times before. It feels like he's often the one who, who misses out, who's um, not quite earned the trust of the coaching team. He's only had four starts since Joe Schmidt took over in 2013. Um, obviously, has played a lot of games off the bench where he's really impactful, but clearly hasn't been given those starting opportunities too often and would have been disappointed with his performance in Italy. Um, yeah, Simon Easter said it is all about creating depth. He completely dismissed the notion that it's harsh, that it was Sean Cronin being the fall guy. Um, and in fairness to Rob Herring, who that's probably the, the miss side of the story, he has been good and he did really well in the tour in Australia last summer. He started the first test, came off the bench in the other two. Unfortunately for Cronin, he actually missed out on the start in that third test, uh, tweaked his hamstring at a late stage in the week. And that was probably a, a really big missed opportunity for him. So Herring has been good and, and he's returned to, to strong form for, for Ulster. He gives a bit of dynamism. Um, but yeah, you have to feel for Sean Cronin. It's, yeah. it's really tough. And I think he'll be wondering, you know, what have I done to yeah. deserve this? Andy, do you buy into that explanation by Simon Easterby? He was sticking to his, his guns yesterday and firmly to that line that it is about <clears throat> building squad depth. Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I think, um, no, I think there's something else in it I do he's too good a player um, for me to uh, to only have had four starts in, in total he's very impactful uh, by and large in in almost all his appearances off the bench he makes some kind of difference which is a very difficult thing to do um, it obviously pigeonholes him in a way he never would have wanted in that he, he he's he's gained recognition for being that impact off the bench and obviously he wants he doesn't have that in Leinster, for example, but um, for whatever reason, um, he's deemed surplus to requirements in a squad of 37. To me, I can't quite fathom it based on his qualities uh, on the field. Yeah. So um, very, you know, what I also found interesting was when you hear, like Simon Easterby, when you hear a coach um, Say, say, uh, I suppose a statement like, uh, you know, I'm not saying 35 is the end of Rory's best career. Mm. What I tend to hear is, I'm saying 35 <laughs> is gradually the end of Rory's best career. As in, they are planning for uh, Rory's age. They are planning for potential loss of form or, or injury or, uh, you know, physical effects on his durability they are and um, when they say we're not saying this I, to me it's smacks as the total opposite and they are bringing guys in to kind of 
um, build that depth. I do understand the 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 wish they have or the desire to build strength and depth, but I I, I think it is actually an interesting and impactful on Rory West. Also, what happened yesterday, uh, Sean Cronin's the the one in in the spotlight for the obvious reasons, but I think it is a it is something underlying there for Rory Best as well. I think his position might be under scrutiny. Okay, and they they in fairness to. To Simon Easterby, you mentioned that Cronin is not going to be out the picture. Mm-hmm. Is that even possibly a, as soon as next week? Because this is a squad mm-hmm. only for round four, actually, mm-hmm. which is slightly unusual again. Um, and I'd be very surprised if they don't bring him to the World Cup. As you mentioned, he's, he's always yeah. he's always going to make an impact. I was speaking to a, a player from a different nation there a couple of weeks ago, and he said, what's the story with Sean Cronin? Like, yeah. I hate when he comes off the bench for 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Yeah. Because our forwards look up and they see this dynamic, impactful, pacey, energetic presence, and they know that he's going to make that impact off the mm. bench to, to possibly be that difference. And if you're in a World Cup quarterfinal or semi-final where things are maybe in the last 20 minutes going slightly awry, mm. you do want that kind of impact off the bench. Um, even just looking back at the Italy performance, because everyone's kind of talked about that being really poor, um, I had a look back through it again and, and it, there were good bits in it, you know. Yeah. Mm. He made all of his nine tackles. He made some good good hits. He had ten, seven carries, I think, uh, for, for 10 metres. So obviously didn't manage to make that much uh, yardage on the ball but compared to Rory Best who made one carry against England mm. that's actually an improvement on why you got there so he's a slightly different hooker probably not as good around the rook as mm. Rory Best and I think Noss Cannon is quite similar to, to Rory Best in his characteristics they're solid set piece hookers not very dynamic with ball in hand but very dependable and re- reliable there were the two throws from Cronin like the line out didn't play didn't go well for Ireland there were a number of issues in that calling and lifting and movement and obviously Italy's defence was really good but I do think there were two overthrows where Mm. guys were at the peak of their jump really good extension from the lifters uh, and the ball goes over the top one was five metres out which is a a really big miss and the other one was for Padovani's try so that will count against him he also gave away an offside penalty which we know Joe Schmidt yeah. loses his mind over that. Well, I think it's, there are mitigating factors in that he was also thrown into uh, the combinations you mentioned. It's, it's a very layered kind of complex thing now, the line-out, but he wasn't thrown to Devon Toner and James Ryan, for example. He was he was thrown to two yeah. other guys yeah. who are not accustomed to playing in the Irish shirt with him. So they're an entirely brand new combination. And I think we ended up with a 75% uh, success right now we're usually 90 plus so obviously it's a marked difference but um, yeah I think he can't squarely take the blame for that as well yeah but another, he has <laughs> yeah. Yeah. another interesting thing that, that Simon used to be kind of in in his explanation of it was that building depth in those specialised positions he mentioned 9 and 10 as well I suppose if you're countering what he said surely then we would have seen more of of maybe John Cooney during those championships mm. if he's talking about building that depth in specialised positions yeah, I agree. There's a lack of consistency in that rationale because they're not doing it elsewhere. Yeah. So yeah, again, there is something we're missing. So when people say there must be something we're missing, you know, there is yeah. because <laughs> he's too good a player. He's too impactful. He didn't have all that bad a game against Italy, and he's the one that gets chopped on a 37 man squad. So yeah, I don't yeah. Know. And we got a. I think we got a question. Yeah, we did. Right? Yeah, was it Ashley? Ashley MacGyver on on email. You know, again along these lines, dropped after one bad performance while Murray and Sexton continued to be selected while they are out of form. Do you think it's possible? that this could create an elite group within the squad that are undroppable despite their performance, putting pressure on players outside that supposed elite group. So there's a mentality, if you don't perform, you'll be dropped. It's an interesting point. And like, that is a real challenge for 
not just Ireland's coaching staff, but all coaching staffs coming towards the World Cup is keeping a happy environment mm-hmm. away from the guys who are clearly first choice and undroppable. Because no matter w- what nation it is, there are guys who are going to be picked. Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray deservedly, I think, have earned mm-hmm. their undroppable status. They're two of the best in the world. And while they're not at their best form, I think anyone, any of us were Ireland head coach, we'd, <laughs> we'd pick those two guys every weekend. Um, but you do have to manage those other players who are on that periphery, who are sometimes in and out. You have to keep them happy. And I think that will be a challenge for Schmidt and for Andy Farrell and the guys around him is keeping that relationship strong so that everyone's buying in, everyone's unified. Uh, And when you get into a really pressurized seven, eight weeks in Japan where you're away from home, you're living in hotels for a long time and it's easy to get pissed off when you're not picked, that's when it, it really pays off. So I think keeping guys like Cronin, even when they suffer this disappointment, in a place where they understand what they have to do, where they really understand what's going on. And I'm not sure if that's the case with Cronin right yeah. now, uh, is going to be really important because, you know, they all talk about it. It's a 31-man effort at a World Cup. It's a 23-man effort on, on match day and everyone has to be to be buying into it. Yeah, final word maybe, Andy. Where, where does Cronin go from here? Leinster, he doesn't have the chance, obviously, to go back to Leinster this week and, and play mm-hmm. for them. So, you know, Murray was saying at the top that this is a squad for round four. The potential is to come back for the final week of games. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a long time between now and, and the next Ireland squad before those World for that World Cup? Yeah, I suppose he has to draw on his experience, uh, his resilience. Now, where does he go? I'd say Dolly Man Strand, throw a few, throw a few pebbles <laughs> in the sea. and uh, That's your spot. Yeah, yeah that's, it, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, he'll just let the waves crash in and, and uh, ponder it all. I, I suspect he'll have a bit of, he'll have a bit of anger in him. Um, and uh, he'll probably go hard out in a few sessions uh, early next week with Leinster as well. But, yeah, it's not something that's new from unfortunately. Um you know, he's he's probably gonna feel a bit like an outsider and a fall guy. Um and maybe he can fuel he can use that as a fuel to keep banging on the door and, and uh I, I really I don't think albeit it's a big surprise exclusion, I don't think it directly relates to exclusion in Japan. So uh he might just use it and hopefully he can find a way you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty good athlete. He's been around over 10 years now um, and hopefully he can just use it in some kind of positive way, you know, even if he currently dislikes the coaching staff quite a lot, which I suspect he does, but uh, that's life, you know. Um, wish him the best with it though. So Sean Cronin obviously not involved in the Ireland squad, but Simon needs to be yesterday reported that 36 of the 37-man squad took a full part in training at Carton House. Joe Schmidt obviously names his team to face France on Friday lunchtime. Murray, a few big guns, big names back for Ireland, which which should considerably boost them for this weekend. Definitely. There's a real sense of fresh energy in the group, I think. You'll have Best, Healy, James Ryan back after being rested uh, for the Italy game. And a number of guys back from injury, CJ Sander, as we mentioned earlier on, Jack Conan even is an option at eight. Gary Ringrose, who's such an important player now, and they've probably missed slightly in, in that kind of creative dimension over the last couple of games. Jordan Larmer's in the mix. Kieran Marmion comes in to replace Quillen Blade. Um, and Ty Byrne as well, who offers you another different skill set. So there, there's been loads of um, opportunity for Schmidt and his coaches to ponder those selection decisions, but those are some really big players to, to, to come back into the mix. Levy and Henshaw miss out. Henshaw's dead leg. You know, you hear about yeah. a dead leg, you think he's going to be back really uh, quickly from that, but apparently he actually 
kind of got another knock on it in training um, and actually it worsened. So they're just being quite cautious with that. And Joey Carberry, the hamstring is just a little bit too soon, they said. So it does seem like he's progressed quicker than expected, which is really positive and it would be good to see him back for the final round uh, and getting a bit more experience. But yeah, there's a, there's a nice um, injection of real world-class quality in, in, in that group. Yeah, Andy, it's been an interesting, I suppose, two weeks since Rome. So much has been made about the mood in the camp and, and what's going on inside Carton and the time they spent up north in Belfast and letting a bit of steam off, getting off the carousel, getting outside the bubble, going for a few points, mm. all that kind of stuff. What have, what have you made of it? And there's been, you know, I know the lads in Bernard spoke about it last <clears> week in, in a lot of detail, but what have you made of that? And has it been blown up too much? Because we're looking for reasons why Ireland have been a bit off colour so far in the mm. championship. Well, I I feel quite clear about why our, we've been off off our best pitch. Um, I, I think it's because we're, we are effectively playing the same way as we did for that 12 to 18 month period, which drove us, you know, relentlessly to the top. Um, it was a very, very physically uh, demanding style. Um, and we averaged that 135 to 140 rucks per game. We're low on offloads. We're currently the lowest in the Six Nations as well. Um, and that those stats are those two stats are significant: the high rucks and the low offloads. It just means your 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 game is labour intensive, and um, I just think there's a natural um, path where you know you do it for twelve to eighteen months. We do get that drive to the top. We beat the All Blacks, and I think there's a re relentlessness that gets tiring in terms of. Um, just the physicality, the mental, the mental requirements, the intensity levels, and I think it's inevitable there's going to be a drop off, and this is that drop off. Um, for me, the the choices are, um, you know, you do the whole outside the bubble, go for a few pints, and that's great, and that's it's nice because Carton House is renowned now at, at this stage as a, like a five star prison. But, uh, <laughs> but he nearly insisted yesterday it's not hell. They yeah, do have a bit of yeah, fun. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, if he did he protest too much? <laughs> <laughs> the um, I think the fix is there's a mix. There's the the you know burst the bubble, get outside, you know, new environment and all that. But I I think there's a choice in that. It's not entirely unreasonable to say we could encourage a few more offloads, we could try and rook less, and I think that would help. I think changing the, the roles and responsibilities in terms of our, our uh, kicking game, there, there are actual tangible things we could do that would help get out of the slump. Um, but my concern is I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to keep doing what we're doing and try and do it better. Um, and while that's an entirely feasible argument because it got us to second in the world, right now it seems like people have our number, are aware of what we're doing, and the lack of variation in our game seems to be feeding into that repetitive low performance. So I think add in some variation, much like going to Belfast and having a few points, but add in some actual practical, tactical variation on the field too. And that ought to help as well. Mm. I think Ringrose will help a lot on that. He's not mm. the cure-all and no. you don't want to burden him with all that pressure, but obviously he didn't go particularly well against England. But even then you saw one of his grubber kicks. You saw some of his first receiver play. Mm. One time he didn't pass the, the ball because Josh van der Veer kind of ran a line that kind of confuse the picture for him but he does bring that ability and it's footwork as well which mm. creates so many more opportunities mm. because then you're carrying he'll be the defender may not even get a full line break but suddenly you're onto the front foot it's easier for the forwards to get that tip pass or leak yeah. out the back it just flows a bit more naturally as well as his 
chat as well as communication. Mm. Joe Schmidt talked about Chris Farrell, who has been good and, and done really well <coughs> with his opportunities, but mm. he's still growing into that role of, of organising guys around him. I think it's unfortunate um, when the when the team seems to be at a, at a level that's struggling for energy levels, that Henshaw and um, Don Levy, Jesus, sorry about that. Yeah, but Levy and Henshaw, their energy levels, they're they're very very um, explosive type players, and if they were to come into that group right now, I think they'd give a huge boost. And it's it's just unfortunate timing for them with the with the injuries. The dead leg one is 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 tough on like it sounds like such an innocuous injury, yeah. a dead leg. But I mean, if you get, I remember uh, Michael Swift down in Connacht. Um, who was a human wrecking ball in in our own training sessions? Ran into Eric Elwood from about twenty meters away, um, at a, and was probably one of the most severe dead, dead legs I've ever seen. Eric was out for six weeks. Wow! But it, like how severe the bleed was. It's called yeah. a contusion there in on the yeah. thigh. Um, very very funny injury to witness, <laughs> but not, not not for Eric. That is weird. Big, uh, big Michael Swift, all, <laughs> 130 kilos sprinting into his leg with his knee so lump of a man because you kind of we were kind of like oh is it really a day yeah like, they're, just no, they're horrific again, but they are horrific sounds if like they're good. done if they're done right they're horrific but the problem is they sound like a soft man's injury yeah. you know yeah. she's get on with it it's only a dead <laughs> yeah. leg yeah. but get well soon yeah. robbie henshaw but you've been out there as well ryan ireland again are stressing that people need to calm down yeah they're very relaxed about being close to or not having been far away from what how they were performing last year and um, i would urge that you know, if they turn over the ball the amount they did against Italy, then France will beat them. France, mm. like Italy did well on counter-attack, actually. I thought that's one of the areas they've improved on. But France, as we saw against Scotland, are lethal. They live for those turnover opportunities. Guys like Ramos and Dupont and basically every player on their team is comfortable in that situation. So Ireland have to be really secure and tight. And these games have actually been pretty tight. Ireland have won yeah. five of the last six, but... You think back last season, it was 13 15. Mm. Obviously, in Ireland's favour with a late drop goal. Year before, it was 19 9 in, in Dublin. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the other one was 10 9 when Ireland lost in 2016 in Paris. So it has tended to be a very tight fixture. And if you're going to be turned over ball and giving that really dangerous spine of the team opportunity, then they will punish it. I think there's a, there will be a really interesting barometer in the first 15 minutes of the match is are we still persisting with Conor Murray box kicking from deep and to me Brunel has already name checked him about three times this week about Conor Murray and his box kicking and we're prepared for it and Ireland play a very um, aggressive kick chasing game and so like everyone knows it's happening it's been happening for three or four games he's not performing it to the level he'd want to me if we persist with it, it shows a lack of flexibility in our approach, which I would worry about. I think it's probably the most obvious and easy fix. If we see in the first 15 minutes that they're sharing the workload, that Sexton is punting long from, from deep within our yeah. territory, or we're using Kearney to get out, as opposed to squarely putting all the pressure on Murray to box kick into an area that's you know very predictable at this stage and most teams are aware we're targeting and um, that to me is going to be a good indicator of where we're at mentally physically and in terms of our flexibility and our approach yeah and the, the kick escorting has just changed that whole yeah, yeah. like it's yeah. incredible maybe quite disappointed if we do it for the first 15 yeah. minutes again but it's so hard to get access into yeah. a one-on-one contest in the air now because everyone's so good at subtly changing mm. the line clearly everyone's working really hard on it mm. and i know ireland have been really frustrated with that they feel they're not getting decisions they do to opposition teams as well, so they shouldn't complain too much. 
but it has changed it. Referees are, and, and assistant referees seem to be quite willing to allow people to subtly change their line and block off and you're not seeing guys get up into the air. Think back to 2014, 2015, Ireland's wings were always up in that contest. Even if they didn't win the ball, you get a shoulder onto the, the opposition receiver and they'll, they'll have that error. So I think your point about variation is really, really interesting because Ireland have, over the course of last year, I think, shown all the different elements required to be a team that constantly has variety. They do tend to change their game plan depending on the opposition with little tweaks. Um, and even on the exits, they've shown an mm. ability and a willingness to run it out of their 22 quite a lot. Mm. It's not been a consistent thing, but they do have that in their army. They do have those link passes, those tip-on passes. They have the variation we, we've seen more recently, even with Sexton at second receiver yeah. and, and playing off Bundyaki. So all those little bits are there. It's just that fluency around it yeah. in the decision-making even and just that freeness yeah. to go, okay, we actually have this in our armory is just like... Is it a confidence thing though, Mary? Because you know all the players all this week, every player who's been up has said, look, training is going well. Joe said it before Rome as well, the training is going well. They're executing all these different things in training, but it's just not translating onto the pitch. Rob Carney again admitted on, on Tuesday that confidence has taken a hit since, since England. So is it a case of... The squad just weren't aren't in the same kind of mindset as they were maybe this time last year. Andy mentioned yeah, mentality there. I think like none of us are psychologists, but I think it's pretty obvious that yeah. they're not feeling as confident, uh, and that happens. That happens to everyone, no matter what their job is. They've been pretty honest with with that as well. Um, but Rob Carney also said, and I agree with him, it can return in you know the space of twenty seconds when a play goes really well. Um, it was interesting that he when he said, talked about confidence returning in the space of a short space time it was about a set piece play so yeah. one of their moves mm. goes really well and that's always been the concern with Ireland because they're so good at it and because Joe always comes up with a play and it does work so often that shouldn't be always your go-to for mm. your confidence lift sometimes you making a good decision in open play or having a good uh, kind of intuitive counter-attack it, it should be something that you feed off as well I think there's a there was a really interesting um shift I saw in response to the the results in, in the last round. Obviously, we beat Italy, England lost to Wales. What what has happened, um, there's an interview this morning on the BBC Sport website. Where, I can't remember his name. He's the, he's the attack and skills coach for the England team. He's in... Scott Wisemantle. Wisemantle, yeah. And the entire it's really interesting because the entire interview is about they've now uh, adapted into their training sessions uh, a, a period of time where they say mistakes are allowed, high risk creative rugby is allowed for the next 15 to 20 minutes. And to me, that is really, really interesting because I suspect now I am I am surmising and I don't have the inside track. But I suspect Ireland's response to turnovers against Italy is when we go down to training and we say training's going well, is tighten up, make sure we don't make those mistakes again, continue to do what you're doing and just do it better. That to me is a big worry because that means we're going to go out and try and be excellent at the same plan. Mm. And it doesn't promote creativity or empower players to take risks. What England are doing is saying, go out and make a few mistakes in training in order to get better at the skills to be creative. I don't know if we're doing that. And it, it reminds me of Argentina prior to, okay, we'd five injuries and blah, blah, blah. They de they deconstructed our game in, in the last World Cup and they did it through offloads. And what happened then, two years before that, they lost 78-10, I think, to South Africa, trying to play that way. So they got worse in order to get better. 
what we're doing is the same thing. We make the mistakes. We go back in. Let's make sure we tighten up and we do it better this week. And this week we'll drive harder. So then you get the sound bites. Training is going well. Mm. But has training been any different? I don't know. That's what I'm worried about. And I thought the Wise Mantle interview was really interesting because they're specifically allowing periods of time in that cauldron of training to go and make a hell of, hell of a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Healy, on that point, Keen Healy spoke quite well yesterday about you know, again, training and not compounding errors and how they're going to react to a mistake in a game and, and making sure that Ireland are then on the front foot off that. Yeah, I think they've, well, in terms of Ireland's mistake, I think they've reacted poorly on occasion in the last couple of games. The one that stands out is Conor Murray getting yeah. stripped by Tito Tobaldi and spinning around throwing his arms in the air. And Joe Schmidt mentioned after the, after the game, play on. You know, obviously he didn't get the decision he wanted to, but he could have tackled Tobaldi. He could have stopped it there. Instead, they go to the other end of the pitch and they end up scoring a try. So that's a, a an example of how they've reacted poorly and, and been frustrated with each other. I think they can handle that better. It was interesting that I think someone did mention tightening up yesterday in Carton House. Mm. I'm not sure it was a key there. Mm. I can't remember who it was. But we can't that, surely we couldn't tighten up anymore. That phrase was mentioned. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see. They're a pretty uh, like, tight, tight, highly strong unit at the moment. They need to be given a bit of freedom. Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, it'll be interesting to see as well. We should mention France and yeah. unchanged. Um, is that a bit un- unnerving from an Irish perspective? I, I, that I they think come? it probably is because we even, we've mentioned on this podcast, we, we always said it would be so good to see them have a bit yeah. of consistency in selection. Um, and I guess with that, Dupont, Entomac, Ramos, Penno, even Ettorio is only 24. They're all young guys. And there is now suddenly that little kind of nucleus that even for the 2023 World Cup, yeah. or possibly even this World Cup, you can start to get really excited about that. So I think the challenge now for them as a union and not just Brunel, um, obviously people are saying that Laporte is already picking the team. Um, so there's a, a bit of that kind of suspicion. But if they can really build that crop of players, Demba Bamba is 20. Like he was a man mm, of the match yeah. in the last game. He's an absolute freak. And there are other guys who are coming from that under 20 setup who, who could potentially push in there. So they have this lovely crop of players. And even if it doesn't go too well for them in Dublin, I would love to see them stick with that and, and back that and the value of cohesion and combinations can't be understated, especially in test rugby. Like you look at a lot of successful teams and they have those settled um, understandings of each other. So fingers crossed for French rugby that this is hopefully the start of hmm. uh, a pretty talented group. How many times have we said yeah. that? New dawn. <laughs> it would be lovely, wouldn't it? It, it would, would be, be great. great. I mean, it's, I think everyone has a smile on their face when the French play like they can against the Scots um, and we see that free-flowing stuff um, a lot of nice counter-attacking play started from full-back from Ramos um, which again is very uh, traditionally a strong point for them going back as far as Blanco and these boys who who really pushed their whole counter-attacking game and the fluency of, of play that we became accustomed to watching in the 80s and early 90s so yeah, with, with the young guys, like you've mentioned. Um, and, and I think also a few of them a bit more steady, even a year in. Aturia did a, a good interview during the week about the shell-shocked feeling of walking off in Paris last mm. year after Johnny's drop goal. The green wall. The green wall. And like they're, they're, they're a one-year-older and wiser. That would have been his first experience of playing against the Joe Schmidt style. Um, at international level, and I, I can only imagine how relentless that must feel, particularly as a young a young guy uh, coming into international rugby. So he'll be primed for that. So hopefully, from a French point of view, um, 
they they do embrace the the young players and the creativity and we now not hopefully they play overly well or anything. <laughs> we'd still want an Irish win but I do think in general it'd be great to see French rugby make a bit more of a comeback um, and, and a response from that disastrous day out against England they don't understand him half the time because <laughs> he was like, well, bonjour, skin, how's it going? <laughs> like, what did you say? That's what you get all the time. He's still adapting. He's a year into French classes and he's still at uh, a square one, but he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the donors is happy. Well, bonjour, so, Murray, for this week's feature interview, you caught up with one of the Irish abroad, Paddy Butler, over in France. Yeah, there's so many Irish abroad now, actually, even in, in France and USA and stuff now. So there are loads of guys. It's kind of tricky keeping the eye on everyone. But he's done really well. Moved over from Munster in, in 2015, having played over 60 times for Munster. Um, as we, we talk about, it, it was a tough decision at the time, but things are working out really well for him. And just started by asking how life in Poe is. Yeah, it's been great. Look, um, they've taken me in really well. Um, the French over here, they're um, all um, very... Hospitable and yeah, it's, um, I'm really enjoying it. It's a lovely place to play, and the the crowd are great, and the supporters, and it's a nice place to live. So um, yeah, still really enjoying it. You have a nice little ex monster Irish community there as well. Good for you over there. Yeah, it's great. So when, when I first came over, there was um, a, a bit fewer, but now it's kind of building up. Um, so it's uh, not brilliant. Um, yeah, the likes of James Collin when I first came over, and Sean Dewey came over with me at the same time, and. At the same time, there's Ellie Corkin and Paddy Sullivan in the video analysis, and Dave Foley joined us. So there's a, a big old crew of us. Um, so, no, it's, it's good to see have a few familiar faces around the place. Yeah, I spent a summer living with Dave Foley in Limerick at one stage. Uh, how's he getting on? Oh, <laughs> yeah, he's not too bad. God, God help you. Um, <laughs> no, he, he's, uh, no he's, he's getting he's getting on well. He, uh, he played a lot last season. He had, he had a bit of an injury this year, so he hasn't played as much. But, no, he's loving it, loving life. He's... Um, Continues to live over here, living with them, and yeah, he's he's really enjoying it. Yeah, how's this season gone for you personally on the pitch? Obviously, Poe in eleventh now. Just looking at the table, beat Ajahn last weekend, a, a really good result. But for you personally, have you found it this season? Yeah, um, I've, I've played. I think I've played maybe seventeen or eighteen games so far. Um, so I've played nearly the, the majority of the games. So I'm pretty happy with the game time and and how I'm playing. So um, yeah, it's because last year I. Um, I got a shoulder operation at the start of the year, so I was kind of in and out for a while and got in at the end of the season again. So it was nice to just start the season with no injuries and just to play away for the whole year so far. So it's um, yeah, pretty happy with my own performances and that. But um, team-wise, we just um, we kind of struggled. We lost a few home games and that was kind of crucial to to kind of trying to make the top six. And yeah, we're kind of lingering around the middle, bottom of the table at the moment. So, um, you yeah, know, obviously we had a good win at the weekend against Arjen. Um, so I think we're well, we have 13 points clear of Grenoble in mm-hmm. second last. So yeah, there's like eight games to go. So I don't think there's any fear of us dropping down. To be honest. Yeah, happy days. Uh, like speaking to a couple of guys who've played in the back line over in, in French rugby, they say the demands are a little bit different. Sometimes it's just about having a, a couple of big moments, and and the mistakes will almost be glossed over at times. What's it like for a back row? Are there very different demands on you compared to when you were at Munster, say? Um, we, we actually play the kind of same system as when um, I was back in Munster as we played there because um, I think Simon kind of took that from Munster and, and, and brought it over and maybe spun it a bit of his own spin on it but um, it's 
you know, it's it's still you still have to do to do your job, and um, obviously the kind of big big difference in the forwards is just the size of the forwards over here are a lot bigger than what they are back home and back in the pro for, uh, pro fourteen or pro twelve yeah. nice players. Um, it's a bit faster back home, but it's just the size of the of the boys over here are they're pretty big in the front row, second row, kind of. Um, so it's a lot. It's a bit harder in the kind of in the malls and the the, the um, plays around the rock um, but obviously if you can play a bit more with the ball out, out the back and it kind of creates a bit of space for you to attack um, some soft shoulders and that, that that kind of gives you the advantage there if you can if you can manage that So you've been spending what a bit of time out in the 15 metre channels it's kind of similar to that 242 Rod Penny style. Yeah, yeah exactly Okay so Yeah yeah it was, it's similar yeah it's similar to that yeah You're happy enough comfortable enough out in those channels it's nice to get a bit of space I guess Yeah yeah I like it yeah well we can obviously mix it up as well that we we when we want we have a, a few players that we keep it in close as well to try and manipulate the defence but um yeah no I, I enjoyed kind of with and get a chance to, to run in a bit of space it's always nice instead of running into walls yeah definitely like people are, again have perceptions about French rugby and especially the training approach I would guess in terms of how professional it is how the structure of it is very different like has that been the case for you over the last few years that there's been more demand, maybe more time in the pitch, or or how is that aspect of it shaped up? Um, oh, I see. Everyone's different because I I have heard the same as you that different teams mightn't be as professional, but it's it's. I think it's like extremely professional here. We've got um like a lot of S tons of S and C staff and nutrition staff and and our, our schedule, the weekly structure is is all done to timings and and so it's it's a very professional system down here. Um. So that, that's what I was used to back home, you know. So um, it's kind of very similar, really, in, in that sense. Input to back to back yeah. Munster. Yeah, was it tough for you, Paddy, leaving Munster? Like I know it's a good while ago now, and Munster obviously will always be close to, to your heart. How was that decision at the time? Um, yeah, it, it, it was. Um, it was obviously a difficult decision to, to leave, but um, the opportunity came up and. Um, I was just a bit frustrated that back back when I was playing once that I was getting in for good games and then dropping out for the big games and I just kind of wanted to try and play as much as I I could because that's I, I find you get to a level and you just need to play as much rugby as you can when you're kind of in your young twenties you know um, and I think that's where you really improve from um, so like it was it was a bit tough decision but it was a, a good opportunity for me and like initially it was kind of a two year plan for me in my head that I'd come over and try and play as much rugby as I could for two years and then potentially move move back if the opportunity came back somewhere in Ireland. But um yeah, just it was going so well that I couldn't really say say that, say no to to stay on for another two years and yeah, so um yeah, it's been like it's from my experience it's been it's been a really good outcome and I'm pretty happy. Yeah, and and joining a, a really big club and a really ambitious club, as you mentioned there, probably hasn't worked out at times as you would have liked. What what is the ambition in Po over the next couple of years, or even short term, shorter term? Like there's been some really good signings, some some big names coming in, and, and guys like yourself doing well. What does the the club want to push towards? Yeah, well, like I think so. If, the first year was was obviously just about I think maintaining um, the level of top fourteen status, and then after that we've kind of been pushing on. Like the last two seasons, um, we've been earned third or fourth or earned six games ago and just kind of blown up at the end which is pretty frustrating and then so we we were signing players and we we're signing good players and we we're looking to always be in the top six to make the qualifications and then get into the 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 European Cup um, the Champions Cup 
Um, then obviously just a bit frustrating this year. I think at one stage we, which not makes an excuse, but we had I think Colin Slays, Tom Taylor, and and to, and to, one of the French lads here, he, um, went down. So we missed our all our all our tens. You know, there, there was a stage there where we had no ten. Um, so that was obviously with people like Tom Taylor and Colin Slades, quality. You miss you, if you miss those players for your big games, it makes a big difference. Um, so we kind of battle with that. Um, but going going for the future. Like they've signed Ben Smith um, for next season, and like it's a it's a real. We've just um, redone the whole stadium last year, so now it's a state of the art, kind of eighteen thousand um, seater stadium, and they're yeah. just looking to really kind of push on as a as a whole um, organisation. Yeah, really exciting times. Obviously, a big match back in Dublin this weekend. I just want to get your take on on the French side of things because people still kind of get exasperated by watching the French national team. They're, they're kind of up and down. What's it like over there? How have they been perceived in, in the current Six Nations on that side of things? Um, yeah, um, like I, I think I, don't, I think this is probably going to be uh, a difficult... This will be the hardest French team so far in the, in the tournament that Arden will face because they've had a lot of time now together. Um Training together, obviously they had the down week last week, and I think they picked, they picked the same team for the since the last test against Scotland. I think they've, they've picked the same team for this week, so yeah. there's a bit of continuity because I, I find that's the problem over here. They've got so many teams, and there's 14 teams in the top 14, and even they're picking a, a the title props in the Pro D2, so the 16, so there's 30 professional teams. There's just a lot of te- a lot of teams here where you've got a lot of players playing and they play really well and they get called in. But there's no there's no consistency in the selections, that, which is yeah. obviously going to be really difficult for the management that because you've got ten new fellas come in for a session, so they don't know any of the systems of the call, or yeah. so you're basically starting from scratch. And then, where, whereas if you look at the Irish team, it's always kind of the same thirty players that are involved. So they've been been there for the last couple of years, maybe the exception of one or two fellas come in. So you're not changing a huge core of your team every time. That's, I think that is a huge difference. Um, now, saying that they've got a, a lot of um, good, good young French players coming through, and I think they could, it could they could really um, create a, a really strong core of young French young French players for the coming years. Um, obviously, they won the World Cup, won the 20th World Cup last year, and there's a few of them after pushing through already into the senior team. So, um, I think going forwards, I think they could be really good if they can get. To, the consistency in the selection and just yeah. and um, you know going forward like that. Yeah, it'll be good to it'll be good to see. Um, that's great insight though. Obviously, the talent is definitely there. Listen, I, I'm going to wrap up just by asking um, about your your future plans. You're you're 28 now. You mentioned Poe are, are going the right direction. Do you see yourself over there for another couple of years, or do you still harbour that ambition to to be back in Ireland? What's your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I've I've, I've actually got nothing nailed down for next year at the moment. Um, okay, but. Yeah, I, like um, I'm really liking it over here. But if opportunities came up back home, I'd I'd consider it as well. You know, my girlfriend's back um, living back in Ireland, so that's the the one difficult side to it. But um, yeah, um, I've nothing nailed down for the for the next couple of years at the moment, um, and just to wait and see and see if what kind of opportunities come up. Yeah. But I would like to stay in France. You know, it's a it's a really nice place to play, and it's always good when you have big every 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 game over against our 14 is a massive game you know that's the the big difference probably between the, the pro 14 that you've got stadium sold out every every weekend over here which is um you know really really enjoyable to play in front of so um yeah we'll just have to see and see what happens in the next couple of weeks yeah well great i hope it works out really well for you and, and keep up the good work doing cashel and tipperary and, and rockwell proud um but yeah best luck for the for the future 
Cool. Thanks very much, Mary. You're very welcome back to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Andy Dunn and Murray Kinsella in studio this week. Murray, I suppose another interesting week in the corridors of World Rugby. Hopefully you, you've calmed down from last week, but World <laughs> Rugby came out yesterday and moved to clarify, I suppose officially clarify their stance on the proposals for the new Nations Championship. Maybe you could quickly kind of give a brief synopsis of of what they said, because it has, it's been difficult to keep up with all the counterclaims and, and that over the last kind of seven days. So what have they come out and said? Yeah, so they've come out and said they're in favour of promotion and relegation in this new Nations Championship. That's the name, if everyone can stick to that now. And we were calling it World League, World Nations <laughs> League. Um, the Nations Championship starting in 2022 is their proposal. They distributed a video that they had used for some market research. They uh, canvassed about a couple of thousand people in the UK and France to see if they support this idea. And I think the positive reaction was encouraging to them. And the unions as well were shown this proposal. So basically 12 teams in the top tier, as we mentioned uh, last week, 12 teams in the tier below that, um, and then another tier, another conference below that even. So there's a couple of pathways in. Promotion and relegation playoffs. So the team who finishes bottom of the the top tier will play off against the winners of the the, the second tier uh, for an opportunity to get promoted. I guess like there, people should watch the video. It, it con, uh, explains it quite concisely. It's on World Rugby's uh, Twitter account. But I think the really interesting point for us is that it would mean relegation from the Six Nations, sure. Which obviously is going to be a massive sticking point, and uh, from what we understand, is really the sticking point. World Rugby have kind of passed the book in their statement. They said there are some unions who are not in support of promotion relegation. Um, and look, if we're looking at Six Nations, I think we can probably all guess. And certainly the word is that it's Italy and Scotland who are concerned about being relegated because Italy would obviously be straight up for relegation. And, and the way it would work out actually is that they would be relegated possibly if they performed poorly in the first year and then they'd actually spend two years outside the top tier of the Six Nations and that tier one competition in November and July because... In, in World Cup years, there won't be a promotion and relegation. So in 2023, they wouldn't have a chance to, to bounce back up. So that's obviously hugely concerning for them. And you can't see how they are going to vote for that. Um, like, why would it, why would the Italian Union vote for re relegating themselves, essentially? Because yeah. that would be what they would be expected to, to happen. Um, yeah, I guess you're going to have to appeal for them to look to the greater good of the game. Um, but when money's involved, when their progress in the game is involved, it's going to be really tricky. So that's going to be a major sticking point in this. Yeah, the picture seems slightly clearer than maybe this time last week when obviously the league had come out and international rugby players had kind of had reacted with their own statements and Johnny Sexton was among those players, the leading players who kind of voiced their concerns. The International Rugby Players Council will meet with World Rugby next week. So is that kind of the next step now? Or what's what's the picture looking like going forward with this? Well, there's not going to be a decision next week. Um, that was, that's the latest, or that was the proposal in September 2018. Obviously, the picture had changed to make the international rugby players come together and, and produce a statement like that. So there's nothing decided. We don't know what the, the future is going to be. I think World Rugby are trying to push this because all of the current TV and broadcast deals in the various competitions are set to to end. Um, and this feels like for them, the opportunity to create something new. And again, that pro broadcasting part of it will be massive. We don't know who the broadcaster is, but it sounds like they've got a good commitment to substantially increase the amount of money that each union is going to get each year. Could be to the sum of 8 million euro, which is 
big money for those unions. Um, so yeah, there's still a lot of grayness in this. Yeah. We, we don't know, um, but it needs to be resolved soon. It does encourage you that the fears of Pacific Island nations, for example, not being involved are, are starting to recede now. And we're starting to see that most unions are in favor of it, but we have a couple of really important exceptions to that. Yeah. Would you have any any concerns about the proposals? Obviously, you know, player workload and travel mm. is still could be something that could be could arise from this. Yeah, there's a lot of factors really going on. There's that the opportunistic kind of um the contractual situation for TV rights and, and the cycle ending and a, a larger kind of corporation coming in and seeing an opportunity there to invest and have exclusive rights to kind of what sounds like a superhero movie with the World League and everybody coming in. Um, it's interesting that, you know, the top pros in the game um, and not not talking about individuals or specifics. They are mercenaries. They 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 have short careers, and they want to make as much money as they can. And they're against it, which is interesting to see. Um, and they're against it from a self preservation point of view. I think there are the concerns can be allayed by the fact that ultimately it might only be one or two extra games in a season. But I saw a lot of reaction, you, you representatives, you, the likes of Sexton, Kieran Reid, Michael Hooper, and they actually were talking about the traditional values of the game as well and, and you know, discussions around like what's going to happen, the likes of the Bledisloe Cup, what does it devalue the Six Nations and and. Uh, conversations around really I suppose you're talking about like globalization as well and and often when that happens you get you lose the individual tastes and flavors of tournaments countries traditions and things like that that, that was a, a different point on it during the week um ultimately I would I would be firmly against change I'd be an old uh, stager and traditionalist <laughs> on this and I would say I think it's a horrible idea ultimately <laughs> and uh, I think the unions will be in favour of earning 8 to 10 million more a year The I'd be still very concerned about the smaller nations the Samoans the Fijians the Pacific Islanders um, it doesn't to me I'm not sure it gives the right message to the game as a brand globally that they're really interested in growing the game or they're looking for an, an elite top level tournament that apply that i suppose appeals to uh, consumers and tv rights more so i have a few concerns about it i'm turning into an all like do i know like, <laughs> you want baggy jerseys yeah, back yeah i want blazers back <laughs> bring back spirals oh, and blazers <laughs> yeah the, like the world will be saving did try and dress all the issues um they said listen we're gonna there's gonna be pathways other nations are going to develop they talked about actually most nations will play fewer tests they'll have a, a maximum of 11 if you get to the final obviously you play 13 and five in a row in november would be really tough um, but overall the average number of tests for most nations would drop they stressed the money coming in all that the only thing they didn't address was in the july tests how a, a nation ireland for example would be expected to go to fiji one weekend play there go to USA the next weekend, play there, then down to New Zealand for three consecutive weekends in countries that are thousands of kilometres apart um, and expected to be playing in those games. Rob Carney spoke about that on Monday. That was his major concern as a player and a player who's very active in all of those bodies. He's the chairman of the Irish Players Association as well. So that is a, a big one that there was no mention of in the World Rugby Statement. Mm. I, I don't know if they've considered it. Johnny Sexton 
called them out of touch. And I think, again, that was probably the main thing he was thinking about. How is mm. how is a top player going to go and do that in a competition that obviously you want to win? Um, I think World Rugby have this sense that you can broaden the squads. First of all, you're going to have to pay a lot more guys a lot more money. Uh, and then you're going to have to fly different squads to Fiji, different squad to USA potentially, mm. split up your squad that way. We saw the All Blacks do it in November. They flew a couple of guys to Japan, played a test there. There was massive chat about devaluing the All Blacks jersey. Mm. They sent a B squad essentially up there and gave guys caps who never would have got caps if it wasn't such a demand on their travel. So that hasn't been addressed at all by World mm. Rugby. And really, we got to find out because I don't think that will work. Yeah, I there's just a, don't think like you have no time to train, you've no time to no, recover. There's a real risk that it it uh, becomes very homogenized and boring. It's going to be every year. Who cares who wins the World League? You know, like, if it happens every single year, it's just bore off. Like, we have a World Cup every four years. There's a Tri-Nations, there's a Six Nations, there's there's summer tours, there's a chance for the weaker nations to play in November. Like, it's not, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's not that bad currently at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't, it's not like everyone's clambering for change. Yeah. Isn't there something so, nice about not playing every nation? Yeah. Like I know. Blacks, you can't, you're probably playing a bit too much recently. Yeah. It's been brilliant, but yeah. there's something so magical when it's been a long wait and you yeah, finally yeah. get to face this Southern Hemisphere giant. So yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that. We're yeah. old school in here. We don't yeah. want to. Yeah, yeah. I think they should bore off <laughs> <laughs> Brett Gosper. Yeah. Let's wear our blazers. <laughs> Certainly a fascinating, fascinating space and, and we'll keep a, a close eye on developments there over the coming weeks. Mary, before we finish up and away from the kind of the Six Nations, Pro 14 is on a two week break now, but it was a, another big weekend for the provinces last weekend. Leinster booking home semi-final with, with four regular season games to go. Um, horrible conditions at the RDS, but they got the jo job done against the Cheetahs. That's a, a big box tick for, for Leo Cunside and just kind of underlines their dominance in, in Conference B. Yeah, incredible. When you look at that table, they're just miles ahead um, and having used so many players as well. There were 90 kicks in this game. It was yeah. tough to watch. Wasn't a great watch, no. Uh, very tactical. Very very much one for the extreme purists. But um, yeah, I think they would have been happy. It was one of those days where you don't really, they probably won't spend too much time reviewing that. Max Deegan said it afterwards, they're happy enough just to get the win. There's been a ban out of it, obviously. Yeah. Ox and Chea gets eight weeks. I was absolute. I didn't see the game live as a way Watched it back there on Sunday night and I was shocked that it wasn't a red card. Mm. It was so clear mm. and obvious and they had an extensive review on the TMO and a yellow card, but the eight weeks ban speaks volumes for it. It was smashed his shoulder into yeah. Fergus McFadden's head. Didn't go for HIA, which kind of surprised me as well, um, but that was a clear red card and surprising that people are getting away with that now. Yeah, Nigel Owens took swift and decisive action brandishing yellow. Then as Murray said, he had a look at the at the big screen and, and Frank Murphy's assistant on this near side of the RDS, he had a brief kind of conversation with him. Was it almost nearly, he didn't want to go back on his original decision, nearly too proud to, mm -hmm. to be seen to, to change that? Or, or what was your own reading? Well, of I don't, I've seen Nigel Owens change his mind on the field. He's probably one of the only refs I've ever seen before I do that. Um, and I think he's got the wherewithal and the respect of viewers and, and the public to do that on the field. But it's, it, it's unequivocally wrong. They got it completely and utterly wrong on every single level. There's not an iota of grey area about this. It's a full-on shoulder charge to the face. And by the letter of the law, it's a red card. And there's they just can't quite work out why they got it so wrong. Um, I'm sure they would hold their hands up. In, and obviously, it shows on the... Um, on the fact that there's been an eight-week ban in, with relatively immediate effects, that at least the um, 
you know, at least there was appropriate action taken. You know, I'm sure if Nigel Owens was asked about it, I don't know if he has been, he would say he just got it bang wrong. Yeah. Um, that obviously rules the Cheetahs prop out for, for pretty much the rest of the season, that eight-week ban. Very disappointing evening for, for Munster and Wales. Uh, defeat to the Scardis leaves them three points behind the Conference A leaders, Glasgow. So a bit of work to do for uh, for Johan van Grand's side. What did you make of that performance? Uh, you know, a difficult place to go, but um, ultimately a disappointing result. Yeah, again, a really horrible night. Um, Munster had 27 minutes and 33 seconds of possession, which is huge. Uh, Scarlett's made 246, <coughs> excuse me, 246 tackles, which was the seventh joint highest ever in the Pro 14. Okay. It was incredible defensive effort, but Munster missed two really guilt-edged opportunities. Even though it was tough conditions, there was a chance um, Rory Scannell didn't quite pass on a, on a turnover tack. Jeremy Lockman won on the ground. And then Mike Haley had a, a really clear three-on-one overlap and he just didn't pass. It was a butchering. I think they'll be really disappointed with those uh instances apart from that the scar defense was magnificent obviously the game tightens up um, and then they had lee halfpenny in the backfield who was superb again tough conditions so not that you give yourself a, a kind of get out of jail free card but they'll move on pretty swiftly from it it was disappointing and again the attack even in in difficult circumstances just left a few question marks yeah and the euro side connects they were Few questions been asked of them against the ospreys after a couple of difficult weeks mm. on the road but they really really produced a big performance and came out with the right result. Yeah, a phenomenal result. And it um, shows, I think, speaks volumes for how far they've come. For, as you mentioned, my old team, not a chance that would have happened 10 years ago. Um, the the quality of their performance, let alone the uh, the huge, the vast difference in the scoreline. Um, and again, I, 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 we've, we've talked a little bit about the style they've played this year. Um, they laid down a marker, I think, within two minutes with that, with that, um, a beautifully worked try, off, uh, off a mall where uh, Marmion, um, they, you know, they passed it, one of those shield passes. Uh, Peter Robb ran a brilliant line, but having watched it back, it was interesting to see Marmion from the rook, anticipating. Um, that they're going to make a line break and look to offload as opposed to running an arc backwards to to resource the next rook. Mm. His his mindset was very, very different. He was running forward ahead of the ball, anticipating that line break was going to happen when he saw Peter Robb. And as a result, much like Luke McGrath's often... Um, you know, it seems to magically appear in the right place or Richie McCaw used to do it. The support line's been being really encouraged by their coaching team in a positive sense. So uh, and Marion's little kind of pirouette pass then. I think it was a butler I can't remember who actually was on the receiver or, or Farrell. Yeah. Tom Farrell. So yeah, I mean a brilliantly worked try, a creative try. Um, you know, it's something I'd love to see allowed happen in the Irish setup, uh, as I keep banging on about. But uh, yeah, Connacht are really going places, really going in the right direction at the moment and a fantastic result. Yeah, Murray, maybe a brief word on Carl Godwin. He really impressed you. He's he's shown his versatility this season, but really impressed at out half on, on Saturday. Yeah, that was his first start at 10. He did move in there the, the weekend before against Glasgow. Um, obviously some level of discomfort in some of the duties. He had some massive clearing kicks with the wind behind him. Uh, a couple of other ones where he didn't quite connect with the ball well. Um, and actually did well off the tee as well. It doesn't look like the most fluid kicker. Um, but he's been a really important signing. He was excellent down the Brumbies, in fairness. Has a Wallabies cap. He's played 10, 11, 12, 13 now. Um, and he's a, a positive presence 
off the pitch as well has worked really well with Andy Friend who is of a similar mindset to him so yeah really well done job at, at, at 10 and totally agree with Andy there was so many little bits Osprey's obviously facing a really difficult time off the pitch yeah. and I think it was reflected in their por- performance um, but there's so much to be excited about Connacht even some of the things they're trying in their face play shape splitting up pods there's loads going on and it's really exciting yeah Andy Friend's side certainly in a strong position heading into the, the final stages of the season as are Ulster they got a, an important victory away at the Dragons in difficult conditions in Conference B as well now lads before we, we wrap up we have to get our predictions for this weekend another big weekend of Six Nations action I suppose Murray starting with, with Scotland and Wales it's been a it's been a chaotic week off the field in Welsh rugby. How is that going to impact how they go at Murrayfield? Yeah, it's interesting. Gallen, Warren Gallen said he has no doubt it'll it'll have distracted the players, and of course, some of them are texting teammates and trying to figure out who's got a contract where. Most of the guys who are in the team would probably be safe for contracts next season. They're international players, and um, but it has been a bit of a, a distraction. I still think they will beat Scotland. I thought Scotland were really poor against France. The same old frailties that you. Yeah thought that they moved beyond just a disinterest in reacting to turnover situations at the time. Even the kick chase for some of those brilliant French counterattacks was Mm -hmm. really disjointed. Simple things like that really let them down. Finn Russell's return will help, but I'd expect Wales to bring it into Cardiff and Ireland try and spoil their Grand Slam. Yeah, England, Italy at Twickenham, Andy. England making five changes um, from Cardiff last time out. Teo and Kokonasinga among those back into Eddie Jones's side. Um, how do you see that one going? Yeah, two pretty huge uh, physical additions there in Teo and, and Kokonasinga. They're, they're physical specimens. Probably gives an indication of of what they're going to try and do, and, and I would say try and choke Italy physically and uh, and maul them around the field. You know, um, I, I see an, an England win, no chance of anything else with a bonus point um, for me. Yeah, big one forward, big one on Sunday, Mary. Um, everything we've spoken about. Do you expect Ireland to produce a, a much improved performance on Sunday and get the job done against France and, and set up that? Um, big game in, in Cardiff on the final weekend yeah I think it'll be improved um, I'm not sure it'll be back to what we saw when they played in Twickenham say last year or against the All Blacks I do think it'll improve I think they'll probably win by about 10 points Andy what do you want to see or what do you expect to see that might be two um, very different things yeah I w- I think we'll win ugly um, and that's fine you know but uh, I'd love to see us um, I'd much rather see us win ugly than lose pretty but um you know, I'm, I I would like to see certainly a change in in a couple of tactical changes, obvious things in terms of our strategy. I think one would be uh, less pressure on Murray and the box kicking, and I'd love to see some variation added into our game, and if if at all possible, somewhere less than 135 rooks. Um, that would be nice, but uh, I'd rather take the win. You're asking and, for a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant stuff, lads. Thanks as always. Cheers, Ryan. Enjoy the rugby, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.